we were in worship, there were, uh, I think when David came up here and he uh, had Pastor Doug share that word, which was such a powerful word, there were three scriptures that just dropped into my heart that I want to share with you. And then as, as Seth plays, I, I just want to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit may be inviting us into here for a few moments before we kind of get on with our agenda. <clears throat> the first was Colossians 1, 27. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Some of these scriptures may be very familiar to some of you, but I just wanted to pronounce them and read them over you and then give us a time to respond. Colossians 1, 27 says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is in you which is the hope of glory. If, if you know Christ Jesus, if you are a child of God, Jesus himself is living in your spirit. And no matter what's going on around you, no matter what dark night of the soul you may be walking through, friends, I wanna encourage you that the very hope of glory itself is within. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. The second passages of scripture are found in Romans chapter five. Romans chapter five, beginning in verse one. I wanted to read about five passages of scripture here to you. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Say, I stand. You know, you can stand in grace. Today, I, I feel there is a, just an invitation of the Lord to say, stand in another measure of grace in your life, for your family, for your business, for the things, for the part of the sanctification journey that you're walking through. Verse, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character produces hope. Character produces hope. It's interesting that all of these things that happen as a result of pressure, they produce hope inside of us. And so I feel like the, one of the things that's important for us to understand is whatever it is that you're walking through, if you haven't found hope, you haven't gone through it yet. Whatever it is that, it, that, that the Lord has designed or whatever it is that it is that you're experiencing pressure in, it should bring you to a place of hope. And so if you haven't found that hope, I wanna say, stay faithful, continue to persevere, let character be strengthened and deepened and you will find hope. Hope is the ability to see the situation through heaven's perspective, not just your own. That doesn't make light of the reality or the hurt or the pain or the difficulty of the adversity. It's not to make light of it. It just means I have a different perspective on it. Let's keep reading here. It says, verse five, and hope does not disappoint us. Many of us may have a hard time having hope again because we've been disappointed so much. And what I wanna invite us into this morning is I wanna invite us into hoping again. 
and finding the biblical hope that does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. So first we see that Jesus dwells in us, who is the hope of glory. Then we see that the Holy Spirit dwells in us, activating that hope. And then finally, I wanna go back to John, book of John chapter 16. I just wanna exhort you, I wanna encourage your hearts this morning. In verse 33, the context here in John 16, Jesus is about to go experience the greatest suffering that mankind has ever known. And he's doing this on behalf of mankind to bring them back into relationship with God. And here in verse 33, Jesus is speaking to his closest friends and his closest followers, a group of guys known as the disciples. And here in verse 33, he says, I have told you these things. These things are referencing everything that he has said beginning in chapter 13 through 16. Very important passages of scripture there. I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. Some of you may have been trying to find peace the past couple of days, the past couple of weeks, or you may just be in a season where you feel the peace is absent from you. My friend, I want you to know that without Christ, that your peace will only be short-lived and it will only be shallow and superficial at best. True peace is only found in knowing Christ and abiding in him and drawing from him because scripture says he is peace. He is the prince of peace. And he says here, in this world, you will have trouble, but be encouraged, take heart, have hope for I have overcome the world. I wanna take a few minutes here as Seth is playing. And if you feel that you're in a place where you just need God to, to breathe hope into you again, one of the things that we prayed this morning before service, I was reminded in the beginning of our story in Genesis chapter one, the very beginning of our story, when God created man, he he formed man out of the dust of the earth. And the scripture says he breathed life into him. He breathed life, the, the life of God. It's interesting that after Jesus was crucified and resurrected, he actually comes back to his followers, these same guys that he's encouraging. And the scripture says that he breathed on them. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And if you're here today and you're saying, you know what? I need a fresh breath of the hope and the encouragement and the strength and the life of God. I'm gonna ask you to do something that might, that might feel a little awkward, but I'm gonna just ask for you to stand and we wanna pray for you. I wanna just, just create an atmosphere here where the spirit of God can breathe fresh hope and fresh encouragement and fresh strength and fresh life into your very spirit, into your very spirit. Thank you, Jesus. This morning, right before I stepped out of the prayer room this morning, I was talking with one of our intercessors and she just made reference to this verse. It says, I pray that out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. I wanna pray that over you today. I pray today that out of God's glorious riches, God today, out of the abundance of who you are, Father, I pray that you would strengthen, you would strengthen your sons and daughters. You would strengthen their resolve. You would strengthen their faith. You would strengthen their hearts. You would strengthen their minds. 
God, I pray for a, a, a Holy Spirit resilience and a Holy Spirit tenacity and a Holy Spirit resolve to be breathed. You would breathe hope and you would breathe courage. Even now, Spirit of God, breathe that courage. And I'm just gonna ask that the body ministry here, just if you're around someone, maybe just stretch your hands towards them or if they know you and you know them well, you just maybe lay your hands on them or ask if you can lay your hands on them. But I pray courage come to you, Antioch Church. A spirit of perseverance. I pray for heaven's perspective to be upon you. I pray that the hope that is within you would well up inside of you and be strong to you in the name of Jesus. I pray that where your faith may falter, that your faith would be strengthened and it would receive new life and it would receive the quality of heaven, that your faith would receive the quality of heaven today. Spirit of the living God, would you breathe now? We're just gonna take our time here for another minute or two. This is important. Holy Spirit, strengthen your bride, strengthen your body, strengthen your sons, strengthen your daughters. Hope for marriages, hope for children, hope for healing, hope for finances, hope for breakthrough, hope for cycles that have continued in your lives to come to an end, hope for a new beginning, hope for a new day and new life and new strength, hope, let it rise inside of you. We declare that faith is the substance of things that are hoped for. Father, we pray right now just an impartation of the hope of heaven. Let your perspective come. Let your perspective come. Give us the ability to see what you are seeing and the way that you are seeing, I pray. friends that are around these guys standing, I just want you to say this with me. Say, let hope arise. Come on, let's just, let's just say that a number of times. Let hope arise. We speak into your very being and we say, let hope arise. Let hope arise in the name of Jesus. Let hope arise inside of you. Let hope arise. Now, those of you standing, if you would just lift your hands right now, to, just high up to heaven. Father, we pray that as these hands are lifted high, that these hands are open wide, Father, that hope would arise inside of them. Your word says, lift up the hands that hang low. God, I pray for a new song to enter into their lips. I pray, God, that a new song, a new song of praise would erupt from their very beings. I pray, God, that a new strength would come from them. Father, a new gratitude, a new, a new victory would rise within them in the name of Jesus. And I say to you today that that area of despair will be your greatest place of testimony and that area of despair will be a place where you will declare the praises and the goodness of God to those that are around you in the earth. Let it be so today and let's clap our hands together as a church in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. We bless you, we bless you. Don't give up, don't give up. We bless you.
We're for you. Heaven is for you. Amen. Amen. Why don't you have a seat this morning? Boy, continue that later on at the end of the service. We've been in a series today, or we've been in a series the past couple of weeks. Thank you so much, Seth. Fantastic. He just stands up there the entire service. <laughs> we've been in a series the past few weeks called Tending Your Garden, and it's, it's based around a concept in the scriptures called uh, watching, watching and praying. In fact, I referenced Genesis chapter one here, but in Genesis chapter two, God takes the first man and he place them, places him in a field, or really it's, it's a place called Eden. It's a garden. Essentially, it's a garden. And God gives Adam this command. He says, I want you to cultivate this garden, make it beautiful, make it fruitful. But also I want you, and the NIV says this, I want you to take care of it. That phrase, take care of, is a phrase that means guard it, protect it, fight for it, watch over it, watch in the place of offensive guardianship. And so last week we talked about the fact that every single one of us has a garden of our heart. Proverbs chapter four, verse 23 says, above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. In other words, that the greatest issues of your life don't flow from the things that you think or they don't, they don't happen just in the, in the external arena of what you put your hands to. The greatest issues of your life flow from your heart. So if you're guarding over your heart to protect it and keep it pure and keep it clean and whole and sound, then the things that come out of you will be whole and clean and sound. And we talked about that principle, five things that we need to watch over in our lives to protect and to guard. Today, we're gonna to be talking about tending the garden of your marriage or tending the garden of your covenant relationships. I recognize that as we step into this, that this can be a very delicate topic to talk about. As I was praying through this and thinking through this and even asking for the counsel of those that were praying with me this morning, I recognize that when you mention marriage, that for some people, that very word and the very thought of your marriage may be a place of pain or maybe a place of brokenness or disappointment. For some people who are not yet married, who've been longing to be married for quite some time, uh, the thought of marriage could be a place of hope deferred, a place where you have great hope in the Lord and they have not come to fruition yet. And yet for some of us, uh, even as we think about marriages past, maybe, maybe some of you in here have had a marriage and you are not married any longer uh, the thought of, of talking about marriage might be a little intimidating. Uh, I, I want to I put hope in your heart this morning as we talk about this. The, the context of our talk this morning is much more proactive and it's much more um, offensive and preventive in nature. But I also realize that as, as, as you evaluate where you're at relative to marriage, I want to encourage you, don't write this off wherever you're at in your journey. Single folk, don't write this off. Because the things that we're going to talk about, they're all principles and they're all truths of the scripture that when experienced from a, a heart of sonship and daughterhood, they have the ability to enlarge your life and they have the ability to set your marriage up for great success. And here's the beautiful thing. You can actually begin tending the garden of your marriage before your marriage ever begins. You can be praying into your marriage. You can be praying into the man and the woman or the woman that God has called you to be with. I, I am praying into the marriage of my children even now. I'm praying that the things that I'm being 
so intentional and so diligent to do in my children that there would be another father and mother that's doing that with their son and with their daughters. So let's, 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 let's enlarge our understanding of tending the garden of our marriage, understanding this, this very, very important truth that every healthy society is built on the foundational building block of healthy homes and healthy families. It is because of that that the enemy has targeted the marriage as prime target number one. The marriage has a bullseye on it by the enemy because the enemy knows if I can take a marriage out, then I can take children out. And if I can take children out, then I essentially have cities and regions and states and nations. I can control the culture if I can control the marriage. And so we see from the scriptures that the very first thing that the enemy targets is a marriage in the garden. And we're going to talk about that today. And we're going to talk about how we can guard our marriages or how we can guard the covenant relationship and the covenant relationships that God has put into our life. And we're also going to talk about four areas that we need to watch over from a preventative standpoint to protect our marriages. The first thing that I want to submit to you this morning is in order for us to tend our marriage, we must have a proper biblical worldview of marriage a proper biblical worldview of marriage. Everything that God gives us and everything that God assigns us to has a purpose. And to the degree that we understand that purpose, we will fulfill that purpose. And when we don't understand the purpose of a thing, we will either misuse it, not use it, or abuse it. For everything that God gives you, it has a divine purpose that exists for something that is much greater than yourself. We must understand that. Our body our time, our possessions, our marriages, our children, our resources, our relationships, all of those have a purpose that actually serves eternity. It has a purpose that serves to advance the kingdom of God on the earth. It, it serves a purpose that is connected to the greater purpose of what God is doing in the earth. And to the degree that we understand it, we can partner with it. To the degree that we understand it, we can cultivate that purpose and we can protect that purpose and fight for that purpose so that that purpose can be fulfilled. God's perspective on marriage is very important for us to understand because you cannot tend what you cannot accurately see. Isn't that right? You can't fight for what is not valuable to you. And essentially what happens in many marriages is that we come to a place where the thing that we once fought for, we are no longer fighting for because something has happened to our sight that we're no longer able to see the value in that like we once did. I was getting ready this morning and this, this, this thought just entered into my mind. How is it that the person that we could not wait to talk to, how is it that the person that was the only person that we wanted to share everything with has become the person we cannot share anything with? That just that thought just dropped into my mind and it dawned on me as I was just getting ready and that thought came into my mind that as we tend the garden of those special relationships and particularly the covenant relationship of marriage, we can make sure that the person that we were burning to talk to remains the person that we bear and share our hearts with for the rest of our days. Christy and I are reading through a book called Sacred Marriage. 
It's written by a man named Gary Thomas. I encourage every person in this room to pick up that book, Sacred Marriage. If you're married, if you're not married, specifically if you're not married, or if you're in a dating relationship or you're engaged, pick up the book, Sacred Marriage. We're, we're going through this book together. We, we, we trade uh, chapters and we'll just read out loud to each other. And we actually have an accompanying DVD that, we, uh, that we've been watching separately. And we'll come back and we'll discuss that in an effort to continue to cultivate the garden of our marriage. And the thing that I love about this book that is that the primary premise of this book is not the external mechanics of things that you need to do to have a great marriage. Just talk more and have more intimacy and make sure you have a date night. I mean, those are all really superficial externals. It all begins with really what our biblical worldview of marriage is. And the premise of sacred marriage is simply this. Marriage was not designed to make us happy. The purpose of marriage is to make us holy. The purpose of marriage, the reason why God created marriage is to make us holy, not just to make us happy. And to the degree that both people begin to partner with that holy purpose, I believe that happiness will come out of that. But God's primary purpose is that you and I, as we partner with marriage, become more like Christ through the marriage and in the context of the marriage. I'm gonna read a passage of scripture here And then I'm going to read a couple of excerpts from this book. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 through 24. This is where we find the biblical foundation of marriage in the scriptures. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone, so I will make a helper that is suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and he closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Let's look at a couple of things here that Gary Thomas says in his book, Sacred Marriage. He says, I have found that in my marriage, there is a tremendous amount of immaturity within me that God used my marriage to directly confront. Anybody ever experienced that? I'm, I'm, I'm in the crucible of that right now. God is using the laboratory, and more importantly, the mediating grace of this relationship that God has put into my life to, sh- to spotlight and show me areas of my life that are out of alignment and agreement with, who, with what God has called me to become. The key was that I had to change my view of marriage. It's very important here. If, if we're gonna all be honest with ourselves, Most of us have not shaped our expectation or our worldview of what marriage is supposed to be primarily from the scriptures. We've either, we've shaped it from our parents' marriage, good or bad. We've shaped it from what we see uh, in movies. We've shaped it from what we see in people around us. But how many of us can say that we have gone solely to the scripture and the scripture alone with the power of the Holy Spirit to form and develop and determine what our outlook on marriage is going to be? None of us could say that with honesty. And so we have to repent. 
Scripture says that the kindness of God leads us to repentance. Repentance doesn't have to be a heavy-handed or hard thing. It's the goodness of God that says, son and daughter, I have something beautiful in your marriage that I want to show you. And it's nothing like what you're seeing there, good or bad, the things that you're afraid of or the things that you're running from or the things that you're running to. But my kindness is going to lead you to shed those things off because I have something beautiful for your marriage and for your relationships that I want to show you. But in order to do that, you have to repent of the mindset and the worldview and the belief system and the expectation that you've built up for what marriage is supposed to be. And most of those expectations are primarily self-serving. I believe that much of the dissatisfaction that we experience in marriage comes from expecting too much from it. Some of us ask way too much of marriage. We want to get the largest portion of our life's fulfillment from our relationship with our spouse. Your spouse can never fulfill a place of emptiness that was only designed to be filled by God. If there's brokenness inside of you that's connected to your parents, if there are things inside of you that you're longing for and approval and affection, if you're looking for a place of acceptance and affirmation and you're expecting that your spouse is gonna fulfill a place that only sonship and only the love of God can touch, you're gonna experience great disappointment. And you're gonna experience great frustration as a result of that disappointment because I and your husbands and husbands for your wife, your wives, we are all inadequate to completely fill what only God himself can fill. My wife cannot be God. It's asking way too much. Yes, without a doubt, there should be moments of happiness and moments of meaning and a general sense of fulfillment, but our spouse was never designed to fulfill a place that God alone was. I was created with the spirit that needs and craves God. Anything less than God will leave my soul with an ache. That most of us crave more than, what most of us crave more than anything else is to be intimately close to the God who made us. If that relationship is right, we will not make such severe demands on our marriage, asking each other, expecting each other to compensate for spiritual emptiness. I want to encourage you to put your eyes on your own heart as it relates to what you're expecting in marriage in and of itself. And we're all on a journey here. I, I, I've been married for 12 years, be 13 this August. And I am not coming to you this day. I mean, that, that's short, short, short. I'm not coming to you today from a place of uh, arrival or a place of perfection or a place of understanding all of these things. And I pray that today you hear nothing from a place of accusation or condemnation. I'm trying to take an offensive approach as it relates to building and cultivating a marriage that will last a lifetime. And most importantly, that will bring glory to God, that will bear fruit for generations, and that will actually be salt and light in the earth that will whet people's appetites to know God. One of the purposes of your marriage is to draw people to Christ. One of the purposes of your marriage is to be a testimony of the goodness of God. And so I want to encourage you today, if maybe you haven't experienced the, the best or, or the life in your marriage that you hoped for, there is still hope for you because the very purpose of your marriage is to display the goodness of God. 
And so in your life right now, what I wanna encourage you to do is say, let hope arise and let hope be breathed into the very fabric of your relationship and things that you thought would never change. I wanna encourage you to hope again, believe again, have faith again, pray again, that God can do supernatural miracles in the arena of your marriages. Amen, you can clap your hands to the Lord for that. I totally am in agreement. We must watch over our marriages. As we were in worship, and I asked Dan to help me out with this, the, I, I, had, I had a picture of two gardens, one very beautiful and, and one not so beautiful. And I know that we say this a lot. We always believe that the grass is greener on the other side. And, and, and I think that there's probably no more pertinent area of our lives where we fall into the grass is greener syndrome than in our marriages. And, and it's easy for us to look at another woman or another man, and it's easy for us to look at what has been cultivated there and for us to believe that if we were just married to that person or if that person were our spouse, then we would have a great marriage. Take, take a look right here, if you would, at the picture of a beautiful, fruitful garden. Probably can't see that very well because of the light, but there's color, there's life, there's order, there's beauty, there's art, there's symmetry, there's, there's things that you can tell have been um, meticulously given attention to. Meticulous attention has been given to the life, the shape, the soil, the design, all of those things. And I wanna say to you prophetically that this is a picture of what God wants your life and what God wants your marriage to look like. But this did not happen by accident. There is, there is no place, in fact, A.W. Tozer says it like this, the unattended garden will soon be overrun with weeds. He's speaking about this in the context of sound doctrine and false doctrine, but the principle applies to every arena of our lives. The only thing that you need to do in order for weeds to sprout up is to do nothing. If you take a break, if you relax, if you step away for a few moments, you'll find, why am I thinking all these things? And why is my attitude getting so sour again? Well, it's because we have to be vigilant and we have to constantly be giving attention and diligently tending the garden of our heart, our emotion, our attitudes, our affections, our appetites, our attention, all of those things. And the same thing needs to happen in the arena of our marriage. That principle applies to cities, it applies to regions, it applies to society. The unattended garden will soon be overrun with weeds. Why is our society looking the way it is? Because it hasn't been tended and we'll get there in a couple of weeks. But what I wanna do is I wanna say, have hope because this is what God has designed your relationship to look like and it's gonna require practice and time and attention and diligence and a lot of hard work. Let's take a look at the other garden over here if you would. This is, I don't know if I'd call that a garden or not. It's just a desolate, barren wasteland. And, and again, it's easy to stand in a place like this and point fingers and say, if only, if only. But, but who's responsible for the garden of our wife's heart? And who's responsible for the garden of our husband's heart? And who's responsible for the garden of our marriage? It's the husband and the wife together to cultivate, to tend, to till, to toil, and to bear fruit in the garden of our lives. Turn with me, if you would, in Genesis chapter three, verse one. 
We must watch over the garden of our marriages. Satan has targeted your marriage. He has a plan for both individuals within that marriage. And he has a conversation that he wants to draw you into. He has a conversation that he wants to draw both members of that marriage into. Let's, let's watch this unfold in verse one. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat tree or fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it and she gave some to her husband who was with her. That is fascinating to me. Number one, it's fascinating to me that Satan does not have a conversation with the proper authority of that garden. He's breaking protocol with the proper authority that has been designated by God himself to tend and to steward the garden of Eden and the garden of this marriage. Number two, I think it's fascinating that while this discussion is happening, Adam is privy to the entire conversation. He's watching this take place. The word up here in Genesis chapter three, verse one, where it says the serpent was more crafty. The word here, crafty, is a very interesting word. It means bare or smooth. You ever heard the word, man, you're smooth. Like, a, you're a smooth operator, brother. Or that guy's slick. It comes from a word meaning crafty. It means cunning, conniving. It means somebody who's out to get something from you in a manner that's not trustworthy or honest or open. It means someone who's deceptive, who operates off of tricks. So the first thing that we see is that the enemy is smooth and he is slick. And we have to understand that the enemy isn't going to come and appeal to something inside of you that you don't have a potential opening in your heart to entertain. Are you hearing me this morning? There are deceptive discussions that the enemy has pre-planned to have with you to draw your heart and your affection and your attention away from the garden of your marriage. Adam was not aware of the enemy's attentions. He wasn't paying attention, so he wasn't aware of the enemy's intentions, which means that he was ignorant. And we discovered two weeks ago out of 1 Corinthians 2.11, that where we are ignorant, that the enemy will gain the greater portion. What the enemy wants to do is he wants to take advantage of the places of natural brokenness in your lives and he wants to leverage that in such a way that he destroys your marriage and the seed of inheritance that you have for generations to come. That's what the enemy wants to do. A little bit of biblical worldview here. The reason why is because the enemy knows something that God has put inside of the depths of his word. And that is that God does everything multi-generationally. 
He is the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And from there, we see that from Genesis chapter 12, that God's plan was to disciple nations through godly families. And when the enemy sees that, he goes, I know exactly what I'll do. I'll stop the flow before it could ever gain momentum. And if I can take out the man and the woman and the marriage, then children will be raised with such brokenness and abandonment and neglect and abuse. And even there might be predators that come in into the ranks of the broken uh, breaches in their lives and abuse them and steal their innocence. And now I've got a foothold for generations to come. This is much bigger than squeezing the toothpaste from the bottom or grabbing it in the middle or does the toilet paper go over the top or the bottom or socks on the floor. Come on, this, this is about a godly seed discipling nations. And if the enemy can just distract us with all of these little meaningless things, what can he do? to get into the garden of our families. Men, our job is to keep the devil out of the conversational garden with our wives. We are not to be ignorant of the things that are going on in the hearts and lives of our spouses or our family. Two ways that we can watch, write this down if you, if you, if you will. Number one, we watch by listening. We watch by listening. Pay attention by giving attention. How can you protect what you're not paying attention to? Pay attention to the words that are coming out of your spouse's mouth. Pay attention to the conversation that's coming out of them. Pay attention to their struggles. Pay attention to their concerns, to their fears. What are the things that are occupying most of their attention? The Lord spoke to me a couple of days ago. I haven't even had this conversation with my wife yet. He spoke to me a couple of days ago and he said, son, you're not, you're, not, you're not sharing the concern that Christy has for the things that are important to her right now. I'll never forget when the twins were first born, Christy was wrestling with formula or not formula and breastfeeding and all these things. And as it came out, she said, I feel like I'm making a lot of these decisions on my own. And as I'm making these decisions that are very weighty and they're very valuable and they're very important to me, I feel the pressure and the stress to make the right decision. And I'm doing this all by myself. And I'll never forget one of the nights as we were feeding the twins, Chrissy had fallen asleep and it was probably about 2 a.m. We just, we just fed the boys and got them down. And I began doing a little research on some of the natural formulas that she was looking into and began looking into all of the dangers with a lot of the prepackaged product formulas that are out there. And I, and I became a believer and I said, whatever it takes, whatever it costs, whatever work, whatever time, whatever attention, we are going to do this. And something lifted off of her because she stopped shouldering something by herself. And we began carrying the responsibility of our decisions together. Pay attention even if you don't understand it, even if it doesn't make sense to you, research, learn, listen, and find out what is going on in the life of your spouse. We live our lives in cycles, seasons, and rhythms. 
Every cycle and every rhythm and every season of life has greater pressure. There's an ebb and a flow to life. And you have to know what season and what cycle is my spouse in and what season and what cycle is my marriage in because it helps you know how to approach it. Not every season's the same. There are seasons where you can rest and you can relax and there are seasons where you must work and you must be up early and you must do some things differently than you did in the season when you could rest. Farming and agriculture is a great natural analogy of this. Remember that the primary battlefield that the enemy operates in is in the arena of your mind, your thoughts, your beliefs, your fantasies. So pay attention to the thoughts by listening to the words. Pay attention to the beliefs by listening to the words. When we get to our children next week, this is going to become very important. Pay attention to the ideologies that they are accepting as truth. Eve was accepting something as truth that Adam should have stepped in and said, baby, I got it from here. Excuse me, sir. You are out of line. You are breaking authority and what you are saying is absolutely erroneous and I command you to leave now. This conversation is finished. You can do that in the spirit over your marriage. You know, men, as I was thinking about this talk, I thought, how many of you, if you were walking down in the mall and some shady looking character rolled up on your wife There'd be everything you'd have to, you'd have to have a couple of guys restrain you because no one is going to physically violate your wife. Why don't we carry that same spirit of aggression in the spirit when our wives are struggling with their weight or when our wives are struggling with what they look like? Or when our wives are struggling with whether or not they're doing a great job being wives and being moms. And, and we go, oh gosh, quit, just, just get over that. We ought to take that same, that same aggressive posture and we say, come here, baby, come here, come here. Just get into these arms. It's in the name of Jesus, I command every lying, accusing voice of the enemy that is trying to come into my wife's heart and mind. And I say, you be still and you be silenced and you're not welcome here any longer. And baby, you are beautiful and you don't have to come on somebody speak into that garden pay attention when the enemy's trying to talk to your woman and get angry about it I said get angry about it we draw out each other's hearts by asking questions remember when you first started dating you guys would go to the store and you'd pick up books to help you ask questions because you couldn't think of what kind of questions to ask. I don't know what kind of questions to ask, but I really want to know. And you'd go buy these little books and you'd ask them all these kind of questions and you'd sit and mm, that's so good. And, and then what happened? What happened to that? How do we watch? We watch by listening and we listen by asking, ask good questions. Take the time. Turn the TV off, set the phone aside. Develop times and rhythms and seasons in your marital cycle where you can sit down and say, let me know what's happening. I mean, this is great language. Honey, what's happening in the garden of your heart? What's happening? What are you thinking about? What's consuming you? What's, what, what are some of the weights that you're carrying? What can I do for you? What can I take off of you? How can I pray for you? Men, you need to know this. There is a longing desire in every woman to have the prayer covering of her husband. It doesn't matter what it sounds like. It doesn't have to be eloquent. 
It can be short and powerful, but I'm here to tell you and I'm here to appeal to you that when you pull your wife into your arms and you say, in the name of Jesus, I cover my wife today and I bless her in Jesus' name, you're gonna see something open up. And, and let me just give you a little hint. If, if, if you want a little more love, then, <laughs> huh? Take, you take care of the garden, you get to, you get to eat the fruit. You guys, y'all track it with me? Huh? All right, let me, let me move on. Yes, all the women are like, come on, the girls help me out. Number two, we watch, not just by listening, we watch by studying. We watch by studying. First Peter chapter three, verse seven. Man, this is a very important scripture for us. It says, you husbands likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way. I believe the King James Version says, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. It means study your wife. And women study your husband. Most women, most women are much more intuitive at this. They know what their husband likes, they know what their husband doesn't like, and they take great pride and great pleasure in being able to serve their husbands in that manner because they were created and called alongside of that husband. But men, sometimes we can just miss it. And so I want to encourage you, study your wives. You ought to know what she likes and what she doesn't like. And you ought to know the specifics about that. What kinds of chocolates and what kinds of flowers and what kinds of oils and what scents that she likes. Is she a citrusy girl or is she a fruity or is she a floral? Or You ought to know those kind of things. It ought to be important to you. You ought to pay attention to the shows that she likes and what magazines and books does she read and what her love languages are and what her tendencies are and what makes her overwhelmed and what makes her come alive and what makes her laugh and what makes all of those things. We ought to study those things. It's one of the ways that we watch. And as we do that, as we learn our wives, what happens is, this is so important, men don't miss this and wives don't miss this either. To the degree that we study and understand, to that degree we can protect them from assignments of the enemy and to that degree, we can partner with God to release them into their destiny. When we don't understand our wives, we can become partners with the accuser. That's why the scripture here is saying, you ought to dwell with your wives according to knowledge. And the word there is actually gnosis, which means to understand in an intimate level. You ought to understand them intimately. Our spouses should never feel like with all the bombardment of accusation that comes against us in our culture, the last person that should be accusing us is our spouse. In fact, the greatest point of pain and betrayal is when we feel like the person that we've lived with and shared our heart with the most doesn't understand us. And when that person begins to accuse us and they begin to uh, attack us, we begin really feeling vulnerable to the enemy. Men, one of the greatest things that you can do is dispel the questions that run through the, the minds of your wives. There are times when Christy would come to me and she'll be wrestling. I said, that's, that's, listen, listen, that is not God and that is not me. That is the enemy and we need to dispel that right now. That is, that we need to stop, having that, stop asking those questions and stop having that conversation right now. And it just, it just it brings us freedom. It brings us clarity. That's called tending the garden by studying and understanding. All right, as we close, four things to watch over. 
to watch over your spouse and to watch over in your marriage. Last week we did the A's and today we're going to do the D's. It's just how it comes to me. All right, number one, we need to watch over discouragement. In the scriptures, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. What is the margin in the soul of your spouse? Is it optimistic or is it hopeless? Is your mate discouraged or are they full of vigor and full of, full of courage and, and full of life. You need to understand this. We become susceptible to the tricks and the traps of the enemy when we are in a place of discouragement. And there's many examples of this from David to Elijah to Peter, these men who made mistakes or these men who are going through difficult moments in their lives and they became discouraged. Know that there are times in your life when you are most susceptible to an attack of the enemy after a great victory, okay? In times of transition, times of transition. So pay attention to your transitions. If you're moving, pay attention to your transition. If someone's starting a new job, if you have babies, whatever it may be, you're susceptible to attacks of the enemy because your regular rhythm has been interrupted. So after a great victory in times of transition or when you are fatigued and you're tired. There have been many times in our marriage where we just have to pull back and stop and say, you know what it is? We're just tired. And really, you're not the problem. I'm not the problem. We need to stop trying to work this out. We need to go to sleep. We need to rest. We need to get refreshed. And we need to come back. And most of the time, when we find ourselves in that place, we wake up in the morning with a little margin in our bodies that the issue has gotten great clarity. You are susceptible to attacks of the enemy in times when you are fatigued, in times when you're tired. Watch over the margin of courage and hope and optimism in the soul of one another. And let me ask you this, when your spouse is discouraged, how do you respond? Do you respond by accusing them? Do you respond by attacking them? But you ought to just man up or woman up. You ought to just be stronger. You ought to do more. You ought to be enlarged. That's not partnering and protecting their discouragement. Do you belittle them? Do you dismiss the discouragement? And, and when we train our ropes teams, our missions teams, we use a light system. Green, green light means challenge yourself. Red light means stop. There's a safety issue. And then we use something called a blue light based out of the blue light special at Kmart. When the blue light's on, it means there's discounts. And we say there are no blue lights, which means don't discount each other. There are things that are difficult to me that may not be difficult to you. And you could go, come on, if you really were a man of God, that shouldn't bother you. You know what you do? You're discounting where I am in my journey. And the same thing with our spouses. You might think, good Lord, are you serious? What does it take to keep a house clean and change a couple of diapers and read a couple of books, right? What? That's called discounting them. It's called discounting that person's experience. And on the flip side, the, you know, the wife could go, good Lord, you know, what do you do? You get to drive around all day and have lunch meetings and drink coffee with people. What do you do? Right? These are not real conversations, mind you. <laughs> like, whoa. <laughs> Boy. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 says, Ecclesiastes 4, 9, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend, his spouse, her spouse can help him up. 
you know what your spouse needs when they're discouraged? They need you to help them up. They need you to protect them in the place of vulnerability because we are vulnerable when we're discouraged. Number two, the area that we must watch over is we must watch over our disappointments. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Most of the times we become disappointment, we become disappointed because we have expectations that have not been met. Let me share this with you very quickly. Uncommunicated expectations most often result in unmet expectations. And when unmet expectations occur, frustration and division happen as a result of unmet expectations. Are you hearing me this morning? When Christy and I first got married, there were things that I realized that I didn't know were expectations of mine until they were not met. And most of us don't realize that we have an expectation that our spouse treat us a certain way or make our food a certain way or talk to us a certain, whatever it may be until that's not met. But then the question is, how do you deal with that? Because if we're all honest, most of us, what we do is we go and we sulk and we pout, and we get frustrated and then we accuse and say, well, if they really love me, then they would know. Instead of walking in maturity and saying, you know, I discovered that there's an expectation in my life I didn't know I had, can we talk about it? And help me understand whether or not this expectation is feasible. Help me understand whether or not this, this expectation is something that, that you feel like we could work out and work on and work out together. That is the biblical way. That is how you tend your garden as a result, as it relates to expectations in your lives. How do we deal with unmet expectations? We forgive, we identify, we communicate, and we listen. And remember this, just because you communicated an expectation does not mean that that person is required to fulfill it. It means let's have a conversation. And that person may say, Jake, you want biscuits and gravy and five strips of bacon and egg every morning with what I'm doing? We need to talk about this because that's just not feasible, okay? Do you know, do you know how, how much time it takes to make a good batch of gravy? Huh? Do you know how much time it takes to do that? Come on, th think about this. You want a clean house every time you step in here? Let's talk, let's talk, okay? Not reasonable, not feasible. I'll tell you what, how about one day a week? Day a week, six, two, five, four, three. All right. <laughs> oh, I love it. Number three, we need to pay attention to our distractions. Our distractions, guys. This one is huge. I want you, men. I want you to read Proverbs chapter five and Proverbs chapter seven over and over and over again. Let me read a couple of verses here in Proverbs chapter five, and uh, we're going to begin in verse three. And I want to I want to end on this. I really really want to drive this home because this is real time for me. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her, her ways wander and she does not know it. Now, sons, listen. Sons, listen. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. And do not go near the door of her house. This was written thousands of years ago. If this was being written today, the scriptures would say, don't text her, 
Don't Facebook her. Don't I am her. Come on. Don't flirt with her. Stay far away from the door of her house. Same chapter, look at verse 18. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts satisfy you always. I used to misread that and put the emphasis on the wrong word. <laughs> I realized that the emphasis is to be on her. May her breasts satisfy you always. Don't go looking to find that satisfaction from something or someone else besides your wife. Are you with me today? Yes. Women, this is for you too. May you ever be captivated by her love, by her admiration, by her affection, by her attention, by her googly eyes. Those should be the only ones that you want looking upon you and thinking that you're awesome. Nobody else. It doesn't matter what the other person thinks. I want you to think about this. Don't go looking outside of the marriage to fill a void in your heart. Don't go looking for someone else other than your spouse to prop up your ego or feed your need for attention or affirmation. Guys, I have a number of friends of mine, some that have been in ministry that have actually been removed from their position of ministry not because there was any moral failure in terms of physical adultery, but because of this right here. This right here. Hey, what are you doing? Oh, uh, nothing. You did such a great job preaching today. Oh, thanks. My wife never tells me that. Come on. Oh, I just think you're so anointed. Whatever, it doesn't matter. It's just little things. That's how it starts. That's how it starts. What do you think about this? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Oh, someone wants to know what I think. Someone cares about what I think. Someone's interested in me. Man, I want you to know, and I did a little search. I actually, actually, this is real time for me. I've got friends that are walking through this right now. So I just Googled, I, I Googled texting and adulterous relationships. It's things that have started off in the most innocent, most simple in-laws, planning birthday parties. And before you know it, something that was being unmet by the Lord, they were now looking for some other person to meet inside of them. It's called a distraction. And we ought to guard over it. And men and women, let me just say this as I close, let me just say this, this is very, very important. If you find yourself dismissing it, if you find yourself defending it, you've got a problem. You've got a major problem. If your wife says, can I, can I take a look at those? And you go, no, red flag, red flag. If you say, I'm not willing to let go of this and you shouldn't ask me because everything is harmless, don't be naive. And the scripture that comes to my mind right now is beware when you think you stand, lest you fall. If you're making light of anything that the most valuable person in your life thinks, something is wrong. Here's how I wanna to close today. All you husbands and wives, I want to um, 
I want to encourage you, just put your hand in the hand of your spouse or put your arm around her. And I want you to just end today by praying for one another. And whenever you're done and whenever you want to leave, you do that. But I want you to bless each other. I want, you to, I want you to invite the Holy Spirit to search the garden of your marriage, okay? And speak into your life. Those of you who are here today, an altar team, altar team, and even some of our life group leaders, I may really need your help with this because this is a very, this is a very tender area of our lives. But if you're here today, and listen, of all the things that I said, I did not say this, and I just want to cover some of you people. There are some of you that have been in abusive relationships, and, and you've been so conflicted, and you've been so confused, and you've been so torn in your heart. And I want to cover you. And I want to say, if your spouse has been abusing you, they have broken their covenant and you are free to put distance between you and that person. Doesn't mean that you can't believe for their healing and their restoration, but some of you just need to, you need to have your conscience cleared because you, you've been experiencing major physical abuse and you've been so guilty and tormented by it. And I wanna cover you and I wanna say, listen, you need to put some distance between that relationship. Are you hearing me today? Be exonerated, be covered, be free. Wherever you are at in the, in the marital journey, single, married, believing for your marriage, married at one point and experiencing some of the pain of that. Altar workers and life group leaders, come up here, please, if you would. Let's do it quickly. I, I wanna encourage you, if you need somebody to, to just stand with you, rally their faith around you. We wanna do that and be that for you today. And again, I wanna end as I began and I wanna say, let hope and let courage and let strength Fill your heart and flood your marriage in the name of Jesus. Let me pray for you and then we'll close. Harrison Baker and Melanie Riffle, be on deck if you would. We've got a couple of young, a son in the house and a daughter in the house going to Brazil and a, a place in the Middle East. And so in the midst of all this activity that's going on, we also wanna rally around the son and daughter of the house and send them out and cover them and bless them. In fact, Harrison and Melanie, if you would go ahead and come up here in the front, my right, your left, and we're gonna pray for you. Can we stand this morning? Father, we thank you that you care about our relationships. And more importantly than that, Lord, we know that this is a relationship that means so much to you because it is a picture of your relationship with the church. We are your bride. We are your beloved. Father, I pray today that life and hope and romance and passion and fun and friendship be rekindled in every marriage that is in this room. I pray a higher level of communication. Father, where we may have been missing each other, God, I pray that we begin to hear, hear each other again and not just hear the words we're saying. Father, I pray give every spouse in this room the acute ability to hear hearts and to dig and say, tell me more about that. I'm so in, I just, I just tell me more about that. Father, I pray a special grace on every man in this room. 
Thank you for these men. Thank you for these husbands. Thank you for these mighty warriors, these priests and these prophets and these kings. God, I pray, endue them with the power of the Holy Spirit to guard and defend the garden of their marriages and their wives. And Father, these precious women and wives, God, I pray, strengthen them. Give them such wisdom. Give them the spirit of counsel. Teach them to measure their words. God, we just say, let there be no manipulative effect at all. As they speak, God, give them the counsel of Abigail. As they're speaking to their husbands, they're speaking life and wisdom and direction by the spirit of God. God, I pray that that intimacy would go to a whole nother level in the marriages in this family. I bless them today. And Father, for all of our friends, wherever they are at in their marriage journey, single, married, believing for their marriage, or recovering from a marriage. Father, I pray your strength and your grace and your hand, your comfort, your presence, your hope be upon them. Illuminate life and light and truth. And let the marriages of the church of the living God disciple nations, transform cities and communities. Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.